Yo, yo, yo. What is up, everyone? My name is Casey Carrillo, and uh, this is Bitcoin Magazine's Meet the Plebs. This is my first time coming on live. I'm extremely excited to be here with y'all today. And uh, what better guest to, to kick off the live versions than uh, Mr. Mark Goodwin, whom I'm sure many of you have seen on Twitter, on Bitcoin Magazine. Uh, thanks for joining me, Mark. Oh, Casey, thanks so much for having me. It's uh, Yeah, happy to be here for the, the first, uh, first live one. I'm honored. Thank you. Yeah. And, uh, you know, no better guest. You've had some excellent, excellent pieces with us and uh, we'll jump into those today. But uh, first, Mark, I was wondering if you could just tell us a bit about yourself and uh, how you got into Bitcoin. Yeah, totally. Uh, yeah, Mark Goodwin. Um, I'm a, I, I, I hate to use this word because it's so arrogant, I guess, but a multidisciplinary artist uh, in the Bay Area. Uh, I've been out here for about a decade now. Uh, I grew up outside of Boston, went to um, school out there for music, for jazz drums, um, then came across the country, did some touring, uh, landed in, in a funny little weird art warehouse space in San Francisco, um, very cold in the winter. Uh, Met a lot of really crazy people, um, got really into uh, production and composition and kind of did, kind of, you know, branched off from just doing drumming. Um, and then I got, you know, kind of at the furthest level of production, uh, it's basically just electrical engineering. So I went back to school uh, in San Francisco for electrical engineering. And um, yeah, uh, on one of my first days there, one of the professors was like talking about ASIC chips and that was really interesting. So I had a kind of a fun little Bitcoin connection there, but I actually found out about Bitcoin in a really weird way. Um, I had probably heard about it before because the Bay is pretty Bitcoiny. Um, but I was working at this bar. I came up in the bar world and um, this bar called trick dog. And one of our regulars, he was there like every day. Uh, it was this guy named Blake and completely unbeknownst to us, he was the guy, and this is all on the level, so I'm not like doxing anyone. Uh, he was the guy that took over for Ross when Ross got arrested after doing the first Silk Road. And he launched Silk Road 2.0, like the, basically like, I think it was within like hours of the first one going down. Um, and he was a regular at my bar. Um, and yeah, just like one day he came in and was like, Hey, I just bought a Tesla. And it was in like, you know, end of 2013 or beginning of 2014. Um, when that was kind of like a rare thing. And, uh, he was like, I bought it with Bitcoin. Um, obviously now it's quite obvious what he was doing, but at the time, you know, none of us had any idea. Uh, so I like rode around the block with him, and I think potentially the first Tesla ever purchased with Bitcoin. Um, and he sort of just like loosely mentioned it. And, uh, unfortunately I didn't, um, catch the bug then, but that was the first time I sort of took it seriously. And I, I used it as a medium of exchange a few times. Um, but it wasn't until 2017, like a lot of us, um, stupidly, uh, that I started like really seriously investing in it. Um, and then I would say it wasn't until, you know, I was lucky to go through a couple bear, you know, a couple years of a bear market. And I, and I do say that honestly, um, lucky because it gave me a lot of time to stack and learn. Um, and then by uh, 2020, when it, I kind of saw the macro situation sort of implode and lockdowns happen, I was, um, you know, I, I went completely all in on Bitcoin, um, both financially, but also like, I was like, if I'm going to be talking about this and, and 
putting all my stuff into this. I, I better know everything about it. So um, kind of dedicated my time to learning, really, truly learning as much as possible. And just bought every book and read everything and um, consumed as much as possible so that I wasn't a jabroni when I was telling my friends to get in on it. Um, and uh, yeah, now I'm uh, obviously writing for Bitcoin Magazine, which has been amazing. Um, and I'm getting ready to launch um, this Bitcoin-focused art project uh, called the Art Bank with a C. Um, that's sort of like an art collective based around Bitcoin um, that, yeah, should be launching at the end of the month. Well, that sounds like a very exciting project, Mark. Uh, I'm looking forward to that. And you have a very interesting story of getting into Bitcoin. I'm sure not many people can say, one, that they met the you know creator of Silk Road 2.0 and that they rode in one of the first uh, Teslas purchased with Bitcoin. I mean, that that's a very interesting story. But I guess uh, jumping off your you know background here, what uh, similarities do you find between the art communities and the Bitcoin community? Because it seems like you're doing a lot of work to sort of blend the two. Yeah, I mean, I think the most overall is uh, just like hope and purpose, and 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 for me, I mean, I've always, you know, whenever I've had any sort of issues in my life or anything I've, I've lived a pretty a pretty a pretty good life for sure I feel very privileged but you know whenever any moments of, of doubt or down or anything and I've dealt with some substance abuse stuff and whatever I you know music and art and movies and painting and writing and books were always just like there for me um, in a really like profound way and Bitcoin has also been there for me in a very profound way and and I think um, I set out you know Many years ago, I, I always wanted to be a performer and I've been in bands since I was like 14 and just constantly doing music and, and, and platforming my friends too. Um, and I don't know, I think Bitcoin to me uh, offers a lot of that same purpose and hope and like necessity for like creation. Um, I think there's sort of a false narrative that Bitcoin, the ossification of Bitcoin means that we all just leave it alone. And in fact, it's like a constant tweaking and, and correcting things. And, you know, that we can't just walk away from it and it's just going to be good forever. It, it's going to need constant checking in and, and a constant reassurance of like economic nodes on the system being strong. Um, and also it's just fun and exciting and, and on the cutting edge. Um, I've definitely always been much more attracted to like the avant-garde art, um, much less so than, you know, maybe traditional populist stuff. I mean, that said, like, you know, probably my most influential band is like the Beatles, which is like, they're like the most famous band ever. So there's some hypocrisy there, but, um, yeah, I, I've, I've, I don't know, to me, they, they don't, it doesn't really seem different. Um, and when it comes to like the purpose of like humanity and time and, and what we're, what we're here to do, um, I think I think Bitcoin will allow us to have the time as a society and thus as individuals to like get back to like, you know, I, I really kind of truly believe we're just like weird little expressions of the universe and we're here to uh, learn about ourselves um, and learn about the universe. And I think the best way to do that is by expressing, you know, what it is that you see and intake uh, and presenting it to other people and seeing what they say about it. Art is pretty meaningless without an audience. Um, even if it's just an audience of one or two or, you know, um, 
certainly not saying you need to be popular to be making art. In fact, I think often um, focusing on making music for your friends or art for your, your small circle is a really good exercise. Um, but yeah, to me, Bitcoin um, goes hand in hand with sort of the commodification of art, um, which I'm really interested in um, being a part of and making sure that we don't just recreate power structures that haven't served the art community very well. Um, as someone who has just struggled so hard to make art, you know, my living. Um, I mean, it's just so hard to like run a business where you are promoting people and trying to pay them fairly and uh, also trying to take care of yourself. It's, it's, it's nigh impossible. And so many of these small independent venues and businesses and um, people that I've associated with or played with have just like all closed, especially in the Bay area where it's the margins are so thin. Um, so yeah, I really want to be a part of like using Bitcoin as a means to an end and as a tool to sort of empowering the artist again. Um, cause yeah, we've sort of just like artists as like a class has been so far gone from the working class, um, for so long. And I think that that's so wrong. Um, I'd really like to see us all kind of get back on the same plane and realize that we all have our roles to play. And some, some of that is to write books. Some of that is to, you know, uh, plant potatoes. Um, and those aren't better or worse than the other. And you shouldn't be like a multi multi-millionaire, um, because you're good with a drum machine and someone that is like a brilliant with, you know, growing potatoes should, you know, you know what I mean? I don't know. There's some sort of equality there. Sort shout of out to the shout out to the potato growers, but, um, yeah, no, I think big, you know, Bitcoin is like a creative experience and uh, kind of what you're describing is like the leveling out of economic creative experience right now, right? Where artists have, at least for the last, you know, 100 years or what's uh, been pushed to the wayside economically. And uh, I think as we, you know, incentivize creativity through Bitcoin, um, we can sort of bridge the gap there. Um, but you hit on, on a a couple of great spots there and actually some things that um one of our our uh authors for bitcoin magazine has touched on which is uh skew morphine uh you know taking legacy systems and placing them on top of bitcoin um we we really should avoid that and what we have a chance for is to basically create new systems of rewarding artists and incentivizing um you know the consumption of creativity basically and uh, I, I think what you're describing here is, is sort of like our transition into that. And uh, I'm personally excited to see, you know, Bitcoin sort of collide with the art world. But um, I guess moving on to our next question here, um, I want to ask you, what qualities do you see in Bitcoin uh, that you would like to see come out of change in this world? You know, what, what a change in this world would you like to see come out of that? Well, yeah, I mean... I think, I think that this sort of does get back to some of the similar things that we were saying before that I think experience is such a collaborative uh, or, or like society is such a collaborative experience, I guess is a better way to put it. And um, yeah, I had sort of an epiphany many years ago um, when I was playing a show and I, I was a drummer and we were kind of playing the show on uh, this, you know, second floor of this, this like house party. And there was, a, there was a ton of people there. It was like a UMass Amherst, like kind of party, kind of raucous thing. And we were playing and, and like, I could feel the floor like undulating 
as like to the rhythm because everyone was like jumping up and down. It was kind of this, this moment. And I had this like, un- it was like this ego death moment that started with this unbelievable ego moment where I was like playing and I was like, I have so much power right now. If I just stopped playing, like these hundred people would stop jumping up and down. And then immediately when I had that thought, I realized I was like, no, they have all the power. I would be doing nothing if it wasn't for all these people jumping around. And really, I'm completely just feeding off the energy that these people are giving me. And I had sort of this just like, you know, breakthrough moment where I was really like kind of tangibly channeling not to get too new agey, but like the energy that the that the audience was was giving me. And and I, I really try to get to that place whenever I play music um, and it doesn't need, I don't need to have a hundred jumping up and down kids to get there, but that feeling of, of knowing that, you know, you're reacting to a much bigger, um, uh, you know, set of, of, of impulses than you might realize. And, and we so often just focus on our specific, you know, what's right in front of us. And we kind of miss these like much bigger things that are really part of the environment that we're in. And I think Bitcoin is, like the the such a perfect ideal gamification of that experience where it is a collective uh consensus um and yet it is like an in an, an empowering uh individual tool um and that's i think it's so interesting that you know both sides i think we're kind of seeing it now and i just wrote a piece for you guys about this, we're kind of seeing both sides of that spectrum starting to butt heads where we have like, you know, kind of the more like collective socialist leftist, you know, borderline Marxist ideologies crashing with this like ANCAP sovereign individual ideology that both sides are like sort of uh, represented in, in the collective um, power of the Bitcoin network in this really interesting way. And, um, I'm definitely consider myself politically homeless and I don't associate really with any party or anything, but, um, I'm really excited to see like what will happen to both the collective from the individuals being empowered and being, you know, a strong individual can help their neighbors really in a much more efficient way while also what will a healthy society look like in encouraging a strong individual. And once that feedback loop um, that's present literally within the protocol um, of a disinflationary currency, like once that feedback feedback loop really grows um, in in society in, in a really profound way, like what that will do to the way we interact with each other and the way we interact with our time. Um, and obviously that will, I, I hope will lead to a lot more of like an art Renaissance, um, and obviously a technological and science Renaissance and all the things that I think society really needs right now. Um, while also sort of dematerializing these like traditional trust systems that have been, uh, co-opted by, uh, you know, mal intentioned, uh, you know, centralizing forces, you know, these people that really kind of control us behind the scenes, seen or unseen. Um, so yeah, that's kind of a long, long-winded answer to your question, but, um, yeah, I, I'm just excited to see, cause I think we really need an evolutionary change. Um, and I don't think that that will come without, you know, a profound systemic change. And, uh, I can't really think of a more important, uh, area that needs, uh, renovating than our financial system. And while I do believe Bitcoin is an apolitical tool, 
I think its implications are incredibly political and, and it's, it's uh, modulation on socioeconomic, uh, you know, paths, I think will be very profound. And I think we should all be excited, even though it looks all the time, like things are going to shit. Um, I think it's cool that we get to be a part and on this wave um, and be a part of the people that get to, you know, defend this chance that we have of fixing things um, and help and help encourage it and urge it along. Right. Absolutely. I'm with you there. Um, yeah, I, I think, you know, the sort of collision of, of political ideologies and spectrums that you've described, uh, we should be excited about because at the end of this, you know, sort of collision, uh, the product is going to be a society where individuals, like you said, feel empowered. And, you know, what society we see after that will be something that I think we can truly say, uh, you know, Bitcoin has changed us for the better. And uh, look at, you know, all like we were just talking about empowering artists uh, and how many other, you know, people will be empowered by this uh, sort of transformation that goes along with this collision of, of, of ideologies. Um, but yeah, I mean, such, a, such an interesting topic. Moving on to, uh, to your articles that you've written for us, Mark. I mean, the first one was, it blew my mind. I was super excited when I saw it and I, I had to highlight it to uh, CK as soon as I read it. Uh, Birth of the Bitcoin Dollar. Sort of a, a riff off of Alex Gladstein's petrodollar piece, or at least that's what it felt like to me. And, uh, you know, basically, uh, you were describing the link between money and energy. Uh, could you speak a bit about this link between uh, money and energy and how Bitcoin sort of iterates upon this? Yeah, totally. Um, and thank you for the kind words. Yeah. And thank you for the help uh, throughout all of this uh, in editing. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it seems like I think a lot of people see Bitcoin as being this energy money revolution that's sort of this like unbelievably profound thing that's never existed before, um, which is true, but also it's not because we've always sort of, or not always, but we've used energy standards um, for money many times in history. Um, and in fact, this experiment that we're on now, this like 50 year experiment of fiat just you know, monetary expansion um, and debt expansion um, is is sort of the outlier, actually, uh, in the historical norm of of how societies use money and and um, uh, you know the a, a bimetal standard is an energy standard. Um, the reason why gold has a monetary premium is because it's hard to find. And when you do find it, it's hard to get out of the ground. Um, and we were using gold as a monetary standard and silver as a monetary standard well before we really had any of the implications of, uh, you know, uh, industrial use in, in computing or as, a, um, as an insulator or an inductor rather. Um, definitely not an insulator. Um, and but but that it was an energy standard and 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 the reason why that that was a that was a technological improvement um, over say like just finding seashells on the beach um, uh, is because it it became hard to source. So in order to get gold, you need to send someone down to the to the to the ground. They need to mine. They need to extract it. It takes human energy. It takes a cost to produce. Um, to go to produce gold or to produce silver. Um, and so it, it ended up being a really good money to use um, because you knew that if you were working and you were getting paid, um, be it 
in, you know, silver, which, you know, you know, X amount of silver, you know, 16 to one silver ratio or something, which was kind of standard. Um, you know, you knew that your hour that you spent working for the, for whatever job you were doing, you were going to get paid in a money that they couldn't just like go send a guy to the beach and pick up, you know, 500 shells. And now your money's debased because they added 500 uh, pieces to the monetary supply. It took actual energy that they had to pay for uh, human energy to get. So this, this concept of like wanting to tie your financial system to your human energy, your savings technology to something that's hard to source um, is like a, is like a pretty obvious, uh, you know, thing when you like break it down like that. Um, but unfortunately we've been sort of lied to for so long about our fiat uh, situation now where it's so normalized that we have like 2% that we lose 2% compounding uh, interest on, on our savings just by holding dollars. It's like, it's so weird that that's a normalized thing. That's really wrong. It's, it's, it's bad leaky entropy from our energy system. So we want to have energy that, or we want to have money that's tied to an energy source that is like stable and consistent and, and hard to source. Um, and that's what gives, that's what not, that's not what gives it its value, but that's what helps retain its value. Bitcoin isn't valuable because it costs a lot of money to mine. That's a, that's a, that's a misunderstanding. Um, but it retains its value because it costs money to mine. Um, so yeah, the, the, the petrodollar system was sort of an experiment, um, where we forced other nation states to have to buy dollars to purchase oil, which was a necessity for the industrialization of like the third world kind of catching up to uh, where we were, where we were. So if you kind of saw it in, in the seventies, eighties and nineties, in the two thousands and the 2010s. The United States had a really big presence in these oil producing countries, um, politically, militarily, and certainly economically, uh, forcing, you know, the surrounding Eurozone and, you know, places in Asia that were oil dependent um, to be forced to buy US dollars, which allowed our Federal Reserve an ability to shovel our inflationary effects uh, into uh, an ever demanded uh you know, economic situation. So it was really cushy for us. You know, of course, it was backed with blood um, and also, you know, military flexing, um, which is not great and not something that we want. Um, but there was an economic like crux there, which is why we were doing it. Um, so in that paper, I sort of argued that, you know, all of a sudden we have this um, uh, situation where now no longer is Bitcoin inflating? Because Bitcoin is inflating, um, just less and less. But no longer is Bitcoin inflating beyond the rate of the US dollar system on average or the rate of gold coming out of the ground, which are both around 2%, a little bit less, 2% year over year. Uh, with the third halving happening, uh, Bitcoin was at six and a quarter, which is where we are now, which relative to its... its uh, um, you know, total supply, it's, it's below like 1.8%. So all of a sudden, there was an economic reason um, to no longer keep your money uh, in US dollars, because there was a better option. Um, and so that was sort of the thesis of, of that paper, or, or that article was that in March 2020, 
right before the halving happened. It was when the move was kind of made um, and people pulled out all of their equity and, and invested in Bitcoin. And we saw Bitcoin go from, you know, around $3,000 to like $69,000, which is a humongous increase um, in like an 18 month period um, and super unprecedented. Um, I mean, Bitcoin's, you know, growth has been unprecedented in, in assets, you know, just, just factually. Um so yeah, now we kind of find ourselves where we have a, a supply um, static demand elastic uh, economic system that is Bitcoin, where no matter how many people want Bitcoin or how many people are mining Bitcoin, the same amount of Bitcoin is being produced every block, um, which is a profound economic technological advancement. Um, and yeah, so I think now we kind of find ourselves um, in a new standard of uh, energy uh, money, um, with the, the birth of the Bitcoin dollar. And, and I think eventually the Bitcoin dollar will fail and it will be a Bitcoin something. Um, but I think we're ways away from that. Um, and I think as we are seeing, and I think we will continue to see, um, Bitcoin being majorly denominated in us dollar purchasing power. Um, and we will continue to see the us dollar debase and inflate into Bitcoin, uh, as less and less of it is get gets made every year uh yeah no i i agree with you um i think you know there's a real revolution in in thinking about money as energy uh you know as you said it's entropy you're you're leaking energy out of your system and i think that speaks differently than just saying it's inflation and there's more money in the in the system uh so i think you know your piece was was really excellent because it showed as you said, an economic reason why Bitcoin is now superior. And, uh, you know, potentially it looked forward into the future of, as you said, you know, maybe the Bitcoin uh, dollar is not, you know, always going to be what's ahead of us, but uh, energy-based money is essential. Uh, and, and so I guess bouncing off of that uh, to your next piece, which was also excellent, um, Bitcoin takes on the duck curve. Uh, and it, it, you know, talked about how uh, we have this, uh, limitation basically of physical uh, energy storage uh can you speak to how bitcoin helps us allocate energy more efficiently uh, despite these limitations and uh how renewable production plays into all of this yeah totally um i think that there's a lot of misspeak about bitcoin's energy storage capability um, so much so that even like sailor did a spaces the other day that where he basically was like, let me clarify what I meant. Um, and, but I agree, I agree with every, basically everything he was saying, um, excuse me, in regards to the energy stuff, um, that storing your capital, uh, in a digitized form is, is energy and, and it's not, you know, there's some semantics there of this one-to-one of the money, the energy that you spend mining Bitcoin can't be literally one-to-one extracted from your, the Satoshis that you gain from mining. But that's kind of a, 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 a almost an irrelevant way to look at it. It's not a closed circuit. Um, it's, it's, uh, it, 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 it's sort of a more, more profound thing that gets to kind of the human energy aspect of it. Um, so if you if you store a bunch of energy in a battery, it's going to be continually leaking off 
Um, we don't have like closed batteries. We can't conserve energy. There's laws of thermodynamics that don't allow us to, you know, perfectly capture energy, or at least we certainly don't have any technology that's even close to that. Um, so what Bitcoin can do is it monetizes uh, previously stranded or wasted energy um, that is being produced um, at a plus or a minus due uh, based on the demand of the energy, the local energy grid. So that's always going to be a, a, f- a fluctuating number and a moving target is how much demand is being pulled by the grid at any moment. And at, that's not something that's going to change. We're never going to just like freeze and it's like, okay, we use this amount of kilowatts per hour per person and that's it and you have to spend it. And it, it just doesn't work that way because Sometimes you go over your friend's house. Sometimes you play video games for eight, you know, 18 hours in a row or something insane. I, I don't know, whatever, whatever you do. Um, but there's going to be always a fluctuating target of, of what a local energy grid uh, is pulling from these power generators. So Bitcoin is the perfect uh, sort of economic silly putty to sort of fit in between the discrepancies uh, of these fluctuations. Um, to become a buyer or a seller of last resort um, for either overcapacity uh, or undercapacity. Um, and the undercapacity is a little more difficult to explain, but the overcapacity is pretty easy. So if you have an overcapacity of energy generation, say something like, uh, like a, a nuclear power plant, which is super consistent and chugs out, it has like in the high 90s or low 90s um, capacity um, percentage. Um, very often that the grid doesn't need that much energy being poured into it. So very often you're, you're, you're running your nuclear energy, uh, you know, at, at a perceived waste or loss, whereas you can just plug in Bitcoin miners, uh, not just, it's not that simple, um, but you can set up a mining facility um, to take that overflow of or over generation of energy and monetize it. So you're no longer wasting energy that has to be made regardless because of the, the way the capacity of nuclear works. You now have a way to monetize it and you can take that monetization and that energy in Bitcoin and then you can use it either to distribute uh, you know, that, those, those costs in a deflationary way amongst the constituents of the local grid and reduce energy costs or you can save it and use that stored energy in Bitcoin, the digitalization of analog energy, uh, and you can use it to buy, uh, you know, energy from other grids at moments when your grid is under capacity and is not creating enough energy for your local grid. So you can take that money that you saved during a low demand moment and use it to purchase energy uh, in a higher demand moment. So it really does fit into these like crevices of of uh, you know, uh, that, that live, that are just always going to happen in, in an energy world. Um, and, and better yet and for the sort of, uh, you know, where Bitcoin is going, um, Bitcoin is, is, is also very misunderstood that it's, you know, it's going to just take over the energy grid of the world and everyone's just going to be burning coal and burning crap and whatever. And the same way we use energy now, and you're just going to take all of your energy and throw it into Bitcoin. It doesn't really work that way. The way the hash rate works and the difficulty difficulty adjustment works is you're going to uh, de-incentivize expensive 
lossy energy um, because it's not going to be nearly as cost effective. Um, so you're gonna you're you're gonna hold on to your oil and you're going to uh, you know use it in moments where you need oil. Oil's wonderful. We need it. Um, we can't just ignore everything. And and nuclear is wonderful. Um, we need it. Um, but we can we can use the uh, monet the monetization of stranded energy, and we can take those effects to build out better energy grids um, that will make our energy grids more efficient, better at storing energy. We can we can have better battery storage, better uh, you know uh, capacity for sending AC signals across lines. One of the biggest problems we have with our energy grid is it's really hard to send energy uh, over miles and miles and miles. It it, it we just lose a lot of it. Um, so you can use Bitcoin as a way to, uh, send energy, uh, in a global energy remittance market that is free and open. Any citizen can participate in it. Uh, you can take cow manure and monetize the energy of the decomposition. Shout out to Ricardo, who's doing that. Um, you can, you can take solar arrays that are set up. Um, in, in stranded inha inhabitable places where there's tons of sun in the desert. Um, and you can use the, the monetization of, of these energy sources to build out better and cleaner supplies um, or, or rather infrastructures um, for, a, for a better energy grid and for, and for a better world. And then eventually as the block subsidy goes down and the hash rate continues to go up, um, we'll, we'll end up having like near you know, zero cost energy uh, you know, securing the whole Bitcoin network without any loss of security um, and instead have a really, really profound and strong energy grid um, because we need it. I mean, we're going to need to spend a lot of energy to, to evolve and progress as a society. Um, that's not going to stop. That's not going to go away. And if we want electric cars and we want all these, you know, solar arrays and these things and these kind of, you know, green environmental wet dreams, uh, we're going to need Bitcoin to pay for it. Um, and so, yeah, Bitcoin can do that, uh, in a really profound way that basically no other, uh, certainly no other protocol or proof of work system can do. Um, and, uh, I think the game theory of the Nakamoto consensus, the longest chain and the, the most hash, uh, is sort of a one and done thing. I don't think that can stop. Um, and I think Bitcoin will continue to um, monetize stranded energy uh, while continuing to lower the, uh, the cost of kilowatt per hour on the Bitcoin network and allow a universal standard for kilowatt per hour um, in a way that dematerializes the monopolies of power systems and power generators. Um, that is a way that you know, nation states control their constituents. So it's really profound, has huge effects on the energy grid. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see where we go from here. Um, but I think people are really getting it. Um, it's a pretty obvious thing. You know, it, 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 it's, it's one of those other wonderful moments where Bitcoin doesn't reject our biology of, of our, our economic incentives of wanting to monetize something or make money. Um, and, and, and in a really cool way, it, it monetizes and incentivizes, you know, using stranded energy for the good of uh, making money, which that money can be used uh, in local ways to help people. Um, so, yeah, while securing all the things, while securing the network for all the reasons why we love sound money and yada, yada. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's going to be fun. It's going to be a fun decade for sure. Yeah, no, I think, uh, you know, Bitcoin is poised to, to change a lot. And, 
the energy grid is one of the things that I think we can both agree needs some major upgrades. Uh, and as you, you know, you made some great points, uh, as you said, energy consumption is not going anywhere. And I think there's a, a lot of misconception where people think about Bitcoin's energy consumption and they think it's going to consume all the energy in the world per se. But what it really does is it revolutionizes the way we uh, acquire that energy. Um, it revolutionizes the incentives to uh, get energy efficiently. And uh, when you know we describe these stranded energy sources and all that, uh, being able to not only be economically incentivized to exist in the first place, but also to be able to function as a sort of battery or a uh, buyer and seller of last resort. It really is interesting to think about all the potential for like off the grid communities and uh, things that just weren't possible without a centralized energy source before. Now you have energy all over the world uh, and you can really do many things that we didn't even think about before. But uh, we do have to wrap up here, but I wanted to, to pose a, a good last question to you, maybe a couple. Um, what are you most looking forward to in the Bitcoin space, Mark? And uh, of course, we've, we've passed my, my legendary uh, marker of 2021 asking about the price. So now I'm left with asking about what is your price prediction for 10 years from now? Oh, okay. Uh, I'll start with the first one. What am I most looking forward to? Um, I mean, so many of the things you asked a lot of great questions. I, I'm, I'm really excited about all this stuff. I, I don't really, I, I, it's sort of a, 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 impossible for me to write or talk about something that I'm not interested in or I care about. So, um, which is good and bad. Um, but I can't really fake that stuff. Um, so yeah, I'm really excited to see Bitcoin dematerialize the power uh, an influence of violence in the military activity of nation states. I don't think that Bitcoin is going to just cause world peace instantly. And I do think that it's naive to think that uh, there aren't attack vectors in, in a Bitcoin standard. There were humongous attack vectors, uh, be it centralized holdings, exchanges, be it power generators, uh, be it you know, yeah, mining operators. There's so many ways to attack a Bitcoin standard. So I disagree with that. But I think the human cost of war is dematerialized and de-incentivized, which I think is just fantastic. So I'm very excited about that. Uh, I'm very excited about, yeah, what it can mean for the individual's, you know, time and, and, and uh, you know, for the art world and all that stuff that we talked about. Um, and then, of course, yeah, what it will do to the energy grid and both in terms of, you know, making it, you know, uh, cheap and clean, uh, but also like, you know, maybe we all get nuclear reactors that we put in our backyards that are the size of like washing machines and stuff that, cause we have a reason and a, and a monetization effect, you know, things like that, that, you know, all these weird little things you dream about in a, in a catalog from the eighties or whatever um, we can actually kind of do with Bitcoin. Um, there's an incentive to do it. So I'm excited for that price prediction for the end of 2030. Um, I mean, if we're not in seven figures, I would be exceptionally surprised. Uh, really surprised. Um, I know that's kind of a cop out because you know I should give like an answer in that range, but I would say by the end of 2022, I think I think we I'll, I'll I will be honest and say that I think that we could see some some bearish activity, and we have been um, in in the short term just because the macro just looks so bad, and I'm just worried about 
maybe having another liquidity flash crash. Um, but to me, that's opportunity. And I hope people look at it as opportunity. Um, I don't think there's anything to be worried about in the long term. Like the macro is also screaming, like, we need Bitcoin. It's just, uh, you know, in the short term, we might see a flash crash. Um, but I think by the end of 2022, we should be right back on target. Hash rate is going up. We had, we've already, I think we broke the all-time high today. Um, all that stuff is really exciting. So I, I think we'll be, uh, I, I think and I hope that we will crack six figures uh, by at least the start of 2023. Um, and then I think by 2030, um, I think I think we will be well into the seven figures. Um, and it could be well before that. Um, but yeah, I'm going to I'm going to be safe and not inspire anyone to do anything stupid, like take out a bunch of loans and, and screw themselves over if there's a short term moment by saying anything super bullish. But um, if we are not over a million dollars by the end of the decade, I will be very surprised. Very surprised. I would, uh, I would definitely agree with you there. I think most of the Bitcoin community would agree with you, especially based off of all the things that we were just discussing, what it could change. Um, all of the incentives are aligning for, you know, a, a major change like that. And uh, yeah, I think uh, Bitcoiners, they certainly have a hopeful view of the future as compared to what I would say are most people, um, their views of the future right now. So it's it's really an excellent time to be alive for us Bitcoiners and uh, we get to learn and, and behold so much. So um, thank you for joining me today, Mark. It's, it's really been an excellent conversation. Yeah, thank you, Casey. Thanks so much. And shout out to your your uh, Nick Carter mug there. That's pretty awesome. I I, oh, I, yeah. did, I didn't pull the trigger on that. I wish I did. Uh, he's he's one of my heroes for sure. I look up to him a lot in the space. Um, I pull a lot of things from his writing. So, but yeah, Casey, thanks so much. Uh, and obviously Alex and Chris and everyone there. Thanks for having me. Um, it's always a pleasure talking to uh, like minded, beautiful people. So. Yep. Uh, and uh, it's been excellent joining you guys live for the first time. So uh, it's been awesome. And I'll uh, see y'all on the next Meet the Plebs.